0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight— Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, Praise be to Christ. Christ. Thank you, Kelsey. So we are reaching the midway point of this sermon series that we started a couple of weeks ago. It's a six-part sermon series on the vision that we have at Christ Prez. For the Life of a Flourishing Disciple. And so if you're new to Christ Prez, if you're checking out, you know, who we are and trying to get your finger on the pulse of what makes us tick, this is the perfect uh, sermon series for that to happen um, because we're unfolding this across all three congregations uh, and walking through this vision of what we believe it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, what, we mean, what we believe it means to, you know, our, our mission statement is uh, following Christ in his mission of loving people, places, and things to life. And what we're trying to do with this sermon series, Worship Connect Serve, is really kind of give some definition to that. What does it look like for us to follow him in this way? And we've talked from the very beginning that we have six very particular application points, um, one for each week, uh, that we're presenting across all three congregations. And uh, we sent out an email this week. If you're on our email list, you, you got it. And, and I said it in our very first sermon that if you're like me and somebody tells you, I'm going to tell you six things I want you to do, um, your legalism antenna may go up. Mine does. I'm wired that way to be a skeptic immediately when somebody tells me this is what you're supposed to do. And so the, the litmus for us has been set to say, use your, use your mind, uh, be a critical thinker and examine whether these are a good description of what not just a person at Christ Presbyterian Church should pursue, but is this a good description of a Christian life, uh, of what it means to be a flourishing, growing, maturing disciple of Jesus. And I believe that they are. I believe that they are. And so i want to walk you through them, and we're going to camp out on the third one today. Um, So here's a quick review of where we've been. The first one has been this, be fully present with the church every Sunday. Don't forsake meeting together all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, uh, And you can go online and hear these sermons uh, and and listen to them, um, and I'd encourage you to do that, especially if you're like, well, that sounds kind of bossy. We unpacked it. Uh, And then the second one is be fully present with Jesus every day. Uh, And then today, we're talking about this one, take every opportunity to gather with your group. And we're assuming that you have a group, and that you're finding a group, and that you have your people, you know, that you have friends in the church, people that you would say, these are mine. Whether it's a covenant group or a connect group that we help put together, we help get you a part of, or whether you find your own people, but that you have your people in the church, and you take regular opportunity to gather together. The next three are these, and this is what we'll be unpacking in the next three weeks. Befriend and bring in people who don't have a church so that you're actively inviting people who don't have a church home. We're not poaching from other churches, but we're bringing in people who don't have a church home. Uh, That's under connect, so that was worship and connect. And then under serve, strengthen the church by serving and giving. And then enhance flourishing by serving your work and your world, and people in need. So those that's where we're going with this series. Those are the six, um, and we'll keep reiterating them every week. But this is the one we're focused on today. Take every opportunity to gather with your group. And this is so 101 in terms of just how churches, why churches even exist, right? It is, is Christ in his wisdom, when he, when he You know, before he ascended to heaven, he gave the disciples to each other and he said to them, you know, go make disciples of all the nations. Build a church. You're going to be the ones who are going to take the lead in doing this. And the rest of the New Testament is about the spread of the early church and these communities forming. And the language then that's so fascinating for the rest of Scripture, um, and really all of Scripture leading up to that, is when God is talking to his people, he talks to them in a plural He talks to them as y'all, not you as an individual. And, you know, I grew up in a time where a lot of emphasis, and I think it's good, uh, a lot of emphasis was placed on having a personal relationship with Jesus. And I think that's very valid, and I, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I think a mistake that we can make is to say, all I need is a personal relationship with Jesus, and I don't really need a relationship with other Christians, And by right of you being here in the room, I I assume that you're already on board with the idea that having your people and being a part of a community is something that that matters to you. But we're going to unpack this together. And and this passage from Romans 12, I, I love this passage as a way of talking about the importance of having people, because this passage is Paul talking to a church, a young church, that are having to make the decision daily whether or not it's worth it to continue following Jesus because of persecution they're facing. And he describes to them the kind of person, the kind of people that they're called to be. And my contention is it's, it's near impossible to live out what he's describing here on your own. You, you have to have a community of people around you to help you live out the passage, the description of the life that he's given here. Because one of the things that defines everything he's listing here is this is prone to all kinds of blind spots. I just will not see. And I'll need other people to help me see ways that I can love better, that my love can be more genuine. So let's get into that. Woven into the story of God, calling and redeeming a people to himself is a call for these people to live in community, right? So it was there in the very beginning, God made, made Adam, and what did he say? It's not good for man to be alone. So what did he do? He didn't just make a wife. He made Eve, but what he gave Adam, when he gave Adam Eve, is he gave Adam others, right? He gave him another, and then they had others, and then there were others, and then as that grew, what God did is he called a people, to himself so, in the act of giving Adam another, he gave him community and we see this happening in these forms of community they they, 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 get, they get big, you have clans and you have kingdom. but then, as the biblical narrative focuses in on the work of Christ, it focuses into language of a bride and a body, and we 're part of this and so one Christian's association with other Christians is, in the sight of God, something that is intimate, something that is unbreakable, something that is assumed to be part of the way that we live, that we're bound to each other. We can't say to each other, I don't need you. And so we're bound to each other, and we're bound forever, because he refers to his people collectively as his bride, And so we respond to this call to unity by forming intentional local communities. That's what local churches are, right? Is there groups of people that saying, for this season of my life as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am identifying as belonging to this particular congregation, and so we have church membership, and we have, you know, a regular stated meeting place, and we gather together, and we learn people's names, and we have a fall fiesta, and Mary Linda cooks all the food, and and we get together, and we do this because that's right, woo woo, uh, because we are called to be people who are not just gathering to hear a speaker give a sermon, but we're walking in a relationship with each other, and so our mission at Christ Pres is to follow Christ in his mission of loving people, places, and things to life. And one way we pursue this mission is through connecting with others in the church through groups. I've been in the church uh, in a pastoral role in some capacity for close to 20 years now. And I've seen everything. I th- Well, I've seen a lot of things. I haven't seen everything. The, the internet tells me I have not seen everything. Um, but I'll tell you this. I, I, I work closely and one of the things I love about Christ presence is I work closely with our church's other pastors and ministry directors. And here's something I can testify. Behind closed doors, when we're meeting and we're talking about the organizational structure and the initiatives that we're wanting to help get off the ground, I'll tell you this, we're a group that's committed to staying on mission and being lean in the way that we do it. We don't want to just fill the calendar with a bunch of busy opportunities for everybody to just do a million things. So that we can look back and say, wow, look, we're flourishing because the calendar is full. The goal that we have is we want to work together to help create meaningful, life-giving opportunities for connection within and outside of the church. Deep relationships. That's what we want. We've used the language at Christ Pres that one of our, our desires is that everybody who calls this church home would have five close friends here. Which is such a simple thing on its surface to say and yet, friendships can be hard to form, right? Friendships can be hard to maintain. Especially once you get out of those systems that kind of help provide friends for you, like high school and college. After that, friendships, take, it, 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 takes, it takes a different level and a different kind of intentionality. But why? It's because we believe that we're not meant to live in isolation. In fact, as a pastor, I can tell you That living in isolation is one of the most dangerous ways to live for a person's soul. I know that because I've sat in the living rooms of people whose lives have fallen apart because there was no one who could speak in and step in to things that were going on in their world that were causing the foundation to crumble and fall apart. And if you've lived for any length of time, you've seen that too. Right, That when we live in isolation, it's a dangerous place to live, and it's not how we're called to live. And so when I stand before you and I say, listen, I believe that one of the goals is that we would be people who would take every opportunity to gather with your group, and this is something I want for us. I say that as somebody who's not trying to fill your time, but trying to focus us, focus us spiritually and relationally. And we talked last (laughs) week about how we talked about being with Jesus every day, and we talked about scripture reading and prayer, and I, I, I said these are kind of the jeans and T-shirt of the Christian faith, right? They never go out of style, and they're, they're always important. They're kind of basic fundamental essentials for following Jesus. And one of the things we talked about is these are things you don't just do, but you practice, right? You practice them like, like you know, this morning when I pulled in, there, there were all kinds of SEC-branded 18 passenger vans in the parking lot. Uh, They were all here, every one of them. And I came into the lobby, and it was uh, women's golf. So there's apparently a women's, SEC women's golf thing happening nearby, and the hotel has been full of of golfers. And uh, they practice, right? They practice the short game, the long game. They practice things where they're weak. They stay fresh on things that are strengths, right? That's what athletes do. Artists practice, you know, with their... Tools, musicians practice their scales, they practice timing, right? That that if you want to grow and develop in a craft, you have to practice it. And scripture reading and prayer is one of those things that we practice. We don't just do, we practice. And I would submit to you that one of the essential components to practicing the Christian life is practicing the art of friendship, is practicing the art of community, And we're called to it. And we see it all over scripture. And I know I'm kind of just reiterating something and you're probably already on board, but let me just keep saying it. If we're called to community, it's plain, right, in the way that one, Christ calls believers to live together in unity. In John 17, as he's praying his high priestly prayer right before he goes to the cross, what is he asking for? That they would be one as he and the Father are one. And we see it plainly in the way Jesus tells us People will know you're my followers by the way that you love each other. They will know that you are my people by the way that you have love for one another, John 13, 35. Paul describes the church in 1 Corinthians 12 as one body made up of many parts, each part needing the other. You can't say to the other parts, I don't need you. And then here in this passage, Paul is teaching the church in Rome what genuine love looks like, and it's a love that requires accountability and others, and if this is the case, then it follows that one of our keenest interests as a local body of Christ would be pursuing and facilitating intentional, regular community with one another. And I would submit to you that what we're talking about is actually kind of radical in today's culture, that, that it, there aren't a lot of avenues for what we're talking about here. The church is unique in this. Not just Christ President, but the church, the local church, is a unique organization in the sense that it's intentionally trying to gather people around truth to grow in that truth together and to grow in the practice of loving one another well. And it can't be done in isolation. And so I want us to look at this passage from Romans 12 and to see what Paul is telling this church, what it looks like to have genuine love, and to just make the case this can't be done alone. And so, let love be genuine, he says. And then he defines what that is. And he elaborates on that. For his original readers, these Roman Christians, they're persecuted for their faith. And, and, they're, and, and it's written at a time when the worst of it has not come yet. Right? Nero hasn't done all that Nero's going to do to Christians at this point. But Paul is calling these people... And he's saying, let your love be genuine. And he's talking to them about what it means to be a Christian in public. And, it, and in this, they need each other. They, they, they face persecution. They have to wrestle every day with whether or not it's worth it to continue in their faith. They can't walk this alone. You and I won't face this kind of persecution probably in our lifetime in America. Not where, you know... Rome is trying to weed out all the Christians and have them killed. But I will tell you this, we live in a time right now where it is costly to identify yourself as a Christian socially. Uh, And it's also a time where it's easy for us to live quiet lives of anonymity when it comes to our beliefs and our, and our, our, our convictions, that we can, we can live completely unknown to a watching world. And that's antithetical to the way that Christ calls his people to live in relationship to him. You will be my witnesses in the world. And so we talked here last week about the Christian life being something we don't just do, but we practice, and our community is made up of the team that we practice with. And so Paul opens this passage by saying to the church, let love be genuine. genuine. Genuine love grows best in community when that community is practicing this faith together. What does it look like? I, I have a couple of categories for this text because he is addressing what genuine love looks like in front of the mirror, like just as you're examining your own life, before a watching world, before opponents, before the needy, and before God himself. And so I want to just take those categories quickly. Before the mirror, he says... Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, and never be wise in your own sight. That's verses 9 and 16. We're called to be people of deep personal moral clarity and humility. And we need the wisdom of others to check us in this, to, to get to know our character, to get to know our am I abhorring what is evil? Am I clinging to what is good? Am I wise in my own eyes? Do I need perspective? Before the watching world, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. So care about the impression you make on people who are observing your life from the outside. We're to live charitable, thoughtful lives in the sight of those who are watching, extending honor to all. And this assumes then that we're people who are saying, I welcome then deeper friendship and accountability in the interest of growing in this way. I need people to help me do this. Before our opponents, I had an extra half a page of notes on this one devoted entirely to social media. I've abridged it, but I hope that, here's the thing, I'm going to go off my notes, well let me read what he says first, he says, never avenge, bless those who persecute you, do not curse, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, okay, okay. Almost all of us in this room have some social media presence in some form or another. I follow almost all of you. You follow me, right? So I have the daily opportunity to work through the question, who, who am I going to be on my social media account? Because I can be whoever I want, right? I've taken enough theology classes and read enough theology books to be a nasty nasty man on social media. I could take you down if you wanted to argue with me, right? Here's the thing. Is there anybody in my life? Is there anybody in your life who can put their arm around you and say, "Hey, the person you present as on your social media account, um is not a person I think you would like if it wasn't you. Is is there anybody who can come along and say, listen, I love you, but you you come across as as belittling, as dismissive, as hot-headed, as unkind. You seem to take on crusades and causes and avenge over hypothetical wrongs that may or may not have even been done to you, but you have this presence here. I've asked this question before would you like the person responsible for the content on your social media page if it wasn't you? As a pastor, I feel like in, in the age that we live in right now, well, by the way, I'm not subtexting or subtweeting anybody in the particular moment when I'm saying this. I'm saying that we have this. This thing that I, I think of social, when social media first happened, to me, my, my metaphor for it was it was like everybody was given a hovercraft with no instruction for how to drive it. Everybody had a flying car. Nobody knew what the rules of the road were, but everybody was given a key and said, it's free and it's unlimited power. Knock yourselves out. And we just crashed into each other like crazy. And we have started to learn some rules of the road, and we have started to learn some etiquette. But still, we have this, you know, great power, and with great power comes great responsibility. Of course, we know that. And so, all that is to say, I'm circling back to the point, is that we are called to let our love be genuine before people who oppose us, our points of view politically, our football team, our, our, our theological corner of the universe that we live in, whatever, that, that we, have, we have a responsibility to let our love be genuine, which is not to say don't have opinions, it's to say in the way that you wield those opinions, are you loving well before a watching world, in front of the mirror, are you loving well people who disagree, or are you on the warpath for vengeance? Okay, I'm going to quit talking about that, but that's something that I think is important, And I know I need people in my life. I'm married to somebody who helps me with this um, in a way that that I know that if I post, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, so I I don't like to start fires anyway. Um, But there are times when I will, how can I say this? Uh, I type and then delete more things than I actually post online. And I found that to be a very healthy habit Um, And my wife has been really good to come behind me sometimes and to say, hey, I I don't know if if you wanted to really convey what it is that you conveyed just there. Before the needy, let your love be genuine before the needy. He says this, associate with the lowly. Associate. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's such holy work right there. We're to enter into the emotional, relational situations of others in need. The tears of the hurting and the needy are to be our tears too, right? And their joys are to be our joys. Love costs something. Leaning in to absorb that cost is meant to be a way of life for the believer, that we have people say, I'm in this with you. To stand with the lowly is to stand in a holy place. If you've done this, and I know most of you have. You've stood with people at low points in their lives. And you know this is, a whole, this is holy ground. It's, it's an it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a honor before the Lord to be able to stand with somebody in their great joy and also in their great sorrow. And we can't do this well if all of our acquaintances are casual. We're meant to be people who are intentionally drawing near And then lastly, let your love be genuine before our God. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I don't know about you. I need to be able to confess when I'm struggling with patience to somebody who can hear me and then encourage me. I don't do well when I'm just trying to navigate that on my own. Paul's giving a pretty powerful description of what genuine love looks like. And there's really no corner of your identity that's unaffected by it. And I don't know that it's, I mean, I'm belaboring this point to say that the kind of person a Christian is called to be needs the influence and the encouragement and the pushback and the insight and the familiarity of friends. Just as we practice the arts of scripture reading and prayer, we practice the art of friendship if that's where we want to grow and we're called to. So, most of what I've said already may just be nothing new to you and a refresher, but it's all as a way of saying, we mean it. Take every opportunity to gather. The converse of it is, do not isolate. Do not isolate. I want to conclude by just sharing a little bit of our own personal experience being a part of groups in a church over the last couple of decades. Um, We've been in a variety, my wife and I, our family has been in a variety of different kinds of small groups at different churches, different stages of life. Groups tend to have a lifespan. Sometimes that lifespan is a year. Uh, sometimes it's five years, sometimes that people are in small groups that meet together for decades and they watch each other's kids grow up and they, they go through all kinds of things together. There's no, there's no magic time limit for it. But they have, they have a lifespan and, and we've been a part of them and I will confess to you that I'm, I'm more prone to go reluctantly to a small group than I am to go enthusiastically to a small group. Um, I'm introverted, I like my nap on Sunday, now, I still take my nap on Sunday, but, but I, I it, it takes me a little bit of ramping up sometimes, just being completely honest. Um, I've been in small groups where I haven't always liked my people, uh, in my small group, right? I, I've had, I've been in small groups where I've liked half of you, <laughs> and then the other half of you, I've thought, well, I'll just sit on the other side of the room, I'm being candid, but I'm also trying to... Because if you've been in groups, you've done this too, right? But here's the thing. Back in seminary, Lisa and I were brought in by this family in the church who just kind of brought us in to their group, uh, to their community of friends. And every week, they had us over to their house older couple. They had kids in high school and college, and we were seminary, stu- I was a seminary student, and 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 they, they brought us in, and they made us part of this community of people. And they were there when our kids were born, and they, they cared for us. They took us with them when they would do little trips here and there. They would invite us to be a part of things. And w- we we learned in that process that the value of having a group, and we've res- I think the way I would say it is we've respected the value of being in a group. Even when I haven't always felt like being in a group, I've respected the value of being in a group. And, and then over 20 years of being in a group, I will tell you this. My respect for the value of being in a group has only grown, and here's why. Some of the things that we've been through... In groups, and if you've been in small groups, your list will be similar. I have heard the personal, in depth testimonies and stories of 50 to 60 different people over the course of my being in small groups. People who have taken an hour to tell their life story. And we've heard of conversions and the faithfulness of God, abortions, failed marriages all kinds of things all over the spectrum. And to be in a room and to hear somebody telling their story as a way of saying, I'm, I'm here and I want you to know me, is just sacred stuff. It's sacred. We've sat in the room and we've wept and prayed over a variety of medical diagnoses and the heartbreaking complication of, of kids who wander from the faith And lost jobs and vocational changes which require people to move away from the city where where our group meets. and, And move churches sometimes. We've buried some of our own. I was in a small group, Lisa and I were in a small group a couple of years ago where within a space of a couple of years, two of our members were diagnosed with cancer and died. We've buried some people in our groups because of depression, addiction. We've sat in each other's sorrows. We've helped to carry them. We're meant to do that. You're meant to do that. And we've celebrated. We've celebrated birthdays. We've celebrated anniversaries of weddings, of sobriety. We've celebrated births, new kids coming in, marriages, spiritual victories, good, good things. We've been a part of this. And I would submit to you that part of God's love for us is is for him to say to us, I'm telling you, I want you to be in communities where you are rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And that that's part of what's shaping your heart. The groups in the context of change, they do that. People move, situations change. But being candid, I I have to say, even though I haven't always wanted to go, the Lord has used the deliberate work of looking for and committing to these smaller communities inside the context of the larger church to surround our family with incredible support and joy in some difficult seasons. And he's used us to do the same in the lives of others gonna be lonely times. And friendships are harder and harder to form uh, the older we get, it seems. But our need for community never goes away. We're made for it, and so we practice it. And so at Christ Pres, we want everybody here, anybody who calls this church home, to have friends. That's why we have the fall fiesta, and there's no talk in the middle of the fall fiesta where we gather everybody around and we do a devotional. We don't do that. Why? Because that's for friendship, it's, it's, it's to get to know each other, and that is of a high spiritual premium value. There's no bait and switch to say it's not a church event unless we did a Bible study. We're applying scripture by saying, no, we're actually just going to get to know each other. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to be with each other. And we're committed to facilitating that process as a church. To the best of our ability, we establish connect groups, missional communities, service communities, Bible studies, all these different things that are going on. There are ways for you to do that. But the work of connecting really resides with you, right? For me, to connect, it resides with me. We We have to do that part. And it won't always be pretty. I tell you this, as your pastor, I'll never stop calling you in. And I'll never stop talking about it for my own accountability before you because we'll always have lots of reasons to decline the invitation. We all do. We always will. But we're not pushing for this because we have some program we want to see succeed. We're pushing for this because to find and engage regularly with your group fulfills the language the Lord uses to describe the life of a flourishing believer, somebody who loves God with their entire heart, mind, soul, and strength, As a part of the body of Christ and loves their neighbor as they love themselves, and as a witness to the watching world. That's a connected life. And it can't be done in isolation. Genuine love before the mirror, before the watching world, before our opponents, before the needy, before our God is a love that's shaped in the context of friendship. So when Adam, when God said to Adam, it's not good for the man to be alone, he gave him others, he gave him community. And he said, this is good. And so that's today's call. Take every opportunity to gather with your group. If you don't have one, fill out that card. If you'd like to be in one, leave it on your seat. We have, you Go to the website, and you can find out all kinds of opportunities for Bible studies. We're going to be starting a men's Bible study here this fall as well in the early morning if you want to be a part of that. There are missional communities that we have here, but get involved Find a group, connect with that group, plug in, lean into that calling and avail yourself of the gift of community as a contributing member to it. And that's my prayer for each of us. Let me pray. Lord, even in thinking about uh, the communities over the years that you have surrounded our family with and the roles that we have been able to play in the lives of others and they and ours, uh, Lord, it's, it's a... It's one of those gifts that we don't always know how to ask for. Uh, we don't always know what we want. And it's so easy for us to get into a rhythm of, of just not being connected to others. There's so much in life that wants to crowd that out. And it does cost us something to do that. Uh, and yet at the same time, Lord, it's one of the ways that you have called us to flourish. Is to be a part of a body uh, that's needed, that contributes, and that benefits from others. And so, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this idea. Uh, your good idea, your beautiful idea of the local church and the community of believers, the great cloud of witnesses that we're a part of. And uh, Father, I thank you for uh, this time together and ask your blessing as we continue to move forward in the service. And we come to your communion table, which is another image for us of the way that you call us into fellowship with each other, with you as the host of of our union. And so it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.